This week, I bring you a conversation that is a true rock and roll family affair, featuring Devin Ullman and Dwayne Betts, two guitar-slinging sons of the iconic Ullman Brothers Band, who after meeting as kids on the tour bus and barnstorming the country for a decade with their own projects, finally formed their own rock and Gulf Coast soul supergroup in 2019, the Ullman Betts Band. Have you ever really asked yourself why you listen to the music you listen to? Why certain albums by certain artists hit you right in the heart bone? Everyone gets their music tastes from somewhere, right? Or from somebody? In my house, there were competing forces for my mom and my dad that equally inform what I love and create as a working songwriter today. On one hand, you had the faded cassettes that continue to play in my mom's car today, the folk rock renaissance that sprung out of every corner of the world in the late 1960s, from Laurel Canyon just up the road from me here in LA, to The Village in New York, to the cobbled streets of London, to Music Row in Nashville. I mean Jackson Brown, Carole King, Cat Stevens, Linda Ronstadt, Patsy Cline, Simon and Garfunkel. My dad's collection, it seemed to hit a little bit harder. It seemed to always be rooted in the blues, and it was fronted by mythical artists who could be known by one name only, like Barroom Prophet. Muddy and Wolf, Hendrix and Dylan, Janice, The Stones, The Band, Petty and Springsteen, The Dead. But of all those greats, there was always one band that seemed to stand above the rest, whose musicianship and slide guitar wizardry was worshipped like holy scripture on long drives through the twisting Michigan farm roads and played at max volume under Chicago's twinkling skyline. One band that my dad couldn't get enough of no matter how many box sets or live bootlegs he could get his hands on. The Allman Brothers. And there in his little office upstairs was a holy relic preserved for decades, pinned to the wall. A single yellowed ticket from the most insane music gathering ever put on in American history. An event that seems especially impossible now in these socially distant, don't get too close to me or I'll freak out times. Most know it now as Watkins Glen, where on July 28, 1973, 150,000 people could pay $10 to see the band, the dead, and the Allman Brothers in one place on one day. But where actually 600,000 people showed up, making it still possibly the most people ever to show up for one day to listen to music in human history. While it seems like the world is slowly opening up with more and more folks getting vaccinated, it is up to a new generation of rock and roll prophets and promoters to send that rock and roll message forward. And the new generation is here. With their debut record, Down to the River, Devin Allman and Dwayne Betts, who took turns playing alongside their revered dads, Dickie Betts and Greg Allman as teenagers, finally banded together to create a new collection of soaring slide guitar-centered rock and roll and brawny road-tested blues that both pays homage to their heady upbringings and forges a very new path forward. Even their touring bassist has a familiar name to all Allman diehards, Barry Oakley Jr., whose dad was one of the Allman Brothers' founding members when they formed in 1969 out of Jacksonville, Florida. Some groups like Mind Dust Bowl Revival were kind of stuck at home licking their wounds as the pandemic shut down most touring options. But Devin and Dwayne's crew, they tapped into the nascent drive-in circuit, bringing their spirited 2020 release, Bless Your Heart, to a whole new set of excited fans. Uh, socially distant, of course. Playing in the family business wasn't always a given for these guys, especially Devin, who only got to meet his hard-touring father, Greg, at 16. That must have been really hard, and yet he made it work, and father and son bonded seemingly immediately about the one thing they always had in common, the music. This year marks the 50th anniversary of the Allman Brothers' breakout record live at the Fillmore East, which I grew up listening to on loop with my dad in the car. Though Dwayne Allman died tragically in a 1971 accident before his namesake was born and Greg passed away in 2017, their spirit lives on in the Allman Betts Band epic live show, which is already gearing up for a tentative 2021 touring season. I only realized very recently that much like Devin and Dwayne, I'm also following in my father's footsteps. Both of us are talking into a microphone for a living. Maybe I'm singing a little more than I'm talking, and yes, I can't really play my music live like I used to right now, but I can share my favorite music with the world from this little sequined back booth in my house. And for all the people who have listened to the show over the last three years, thank you. We actually reached 150,000 downloads and counting last week. 
If you're a friend or you're a stranger or you're my mom, please leave a review on our iTunes page. It actually helps people find us. I know I keep saying that, but please leave us a kind review. Share this show with your friends. And if you're curious about my band Dust Bowl Revival, we will be announcing a really special live stream coming in May. That's it for me. Here they are now, Devin Allman and Dwayne Betts of the Allman Betts Band. Hey, this is Dwayne Betts from the Almond Betts Band, and uh, I am in Sarasota, Florida right now. And uh, I play guitar and sing a little bit. And... Devin Allman, I'm in uh, St. Charles, Missouri at home, and uh, I sing and play some guitar for the Almond Betts Band. Love the new record, and uh, I know you guys are used to hitting the road hard. What has been the, uh, the most drastic change to your lives since you've been home uh, these last six months. No money. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm kidding. Uh, the drastic change, um, that exchange of energy, man, really, really missed that. Missed, um, you know, turning people on with music, making them feel good, making them uh, kind of forget their troubles for a little while. It, it, it heals them and, and it heals us to, to do it for them. So definitely miss that, and and glad to see that we're we're slowly easing back into it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, definitely you get used to touring as much as a band like us tours, and you get used to it. And then you 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 get it taken away, and and you're you're kind of like wondering when it's going to come back. But it's been a good a good time um, to just connect with your family and connect with nature and. You know, you make the best out of it, but... And Dwayne, you started playing drums first, right? I did, yes. Yes, I don't know... Uh, I don't know how old I was. I, 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 I would imagine I was four or five or six, maybe. Maybe a little older, maybe seven, six. I don't know how old I was, but... Um, I played drums for quite a while, and I switched to guitar when I was 13. And... Uh, was your dad just waiting it out and being like, he's going to come around to the guitar? Just wait. I have no idea, but he was really helpful, and he actually was a pretty good drummer, so he showed me some really kind of fundamental stuff on the drum set, you know, like four on the floor and keeping time and stuff. He helped me with that and uh, helped me get the drum set from... Uh, from the warehouse where his band, this was in the early mid-80s, so it was like he had his solo band and they were rehearsing at a warehouse. So, But, uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of a lot of guitar players start on a drum, so... And Devin, when did music start really tugging at your sleeve that you had to do it as your life? Um, I mean, I fell in love with music at a really young age and, and was pretty addicted to, to rock radio in the 70s and 80s. Uh, First concert, 81, started playing guitar, 85. Went on tour with the Allman Brothers when I was 17. And the first time I, uh, I, I got to sit in with them was the final night of the tour in Miami. And, and I sang Midnight Rider. And I think once I felt that exchange, um, that, was, that was it. That, that pretty much made my mind up. to be able to experience that every night, you know, whether it was on a small, a medium or a large scale, it didn't matter to me. You know, if, uh, if my career would have peaked out at full coffee shops with 50 people, that's, <laughs> that's absolutely, I'd still be doing it. You know, it's, it's what I love to do. Um, I feel more connected with the essence of who I am when, when I sing. And when I create, and um, 
you know, every everything beyond that is is a blessing. But yeah, I mean, that was a magical moment. It was a real turning point because I, I really, I really was, I was 17 on that tour and I went on that tour to decide if I wanted, if I wanted to do that for a career or not. And I was really 50-50 going in. Like I could go do that, but I could go do this or, you know, and uh, when I sat in with them, that was it. And for folks who don't know, um, your dad is Greg Allman, and Betts, your dad is Dickie Betts. Now, it is an honor to be in this um, extended family, and it really is a family that the Allman Brothers uh, legacy has created. And the band in different forms uh, with Warren Haynes and Derek Trucks. I've seen probably three or four different versions of the group since I was a little kid because my dad is you know, a devotee of the Allman Brothers. That's the first rock concert that I remember seeing uh, out in a field out in Chicago somewhere and cool. smelling the weed smoke and not understanding why everyone was spinning around weirdly to a whipping post and seeing Derek Trucks when he's like 14 and having my dad basically whisper in my ear that it's clearly a, a reincarnation of Dwayne. Like it's it's a reincarnation. It's happening in front of our eyes, you know. <laughs> and seeing what you guys have created uh, with this new group, and it is a new group. I mean, you guys have uh, two records out now, um, but really you only started really playing together for that Down to the River project in uh, 2019. So it's very fresh, and yet you guys feel like you're so um, connected to each other in the history and... Uh, are pushing it forward and I really appreciate what you guys are doing thank you yeah um, well we're we're proud of of it and we're proud of the legacy and it is a family a family band and a, and a, a big happy family it was like that growing up on the on the road and you know like Devin and I would see each other during the summer it was like our summer vacation was going out on the road and seeing different places and traveling every night you know, you wake up and check in the hotel. I mean, you know the deal. You know what it, you know what it's like to be on the road, obviously. <laughs> but uh, but when you're a kid and you're with your dads, and you're kind of seeing it from that angle, um, it's uh, it's exciting, you know. And it definitely influenced me. And and man, if I could do this someday, you know, if I could get that exchange on. You know, and, and you know, have lunch, and then man, then we hit the stage at night, and the you know the sun goes down, and there's these people there, and they make noise, and you get to play, and they you know, so it's a, it's a it's a cool thing, and and um, it definitely you can't deny what they did. I mean, there'll never be another band to take their place, you know. Let's dive right into the music. Uh, there's a song uh, off your new record called Should We Ever Part that just felt like it was coming out of the spirit of those 70s Fillmore East shows. And, um, you know, you're coming straight out of the gate with that roaring slide guitar and the organ echoing it. You know, it's like Greg is in the building. It's a beautiful interpretation of what that energy is because really the Allman Brothers um, had their own sound do you ever feel like your dad Greg is watching you play when you're out on stage man you're going right for the for the throat uh, first of all my hat's off to you because nobody since we've made this record has brought up that song and I think it's kind of it's kind of this dark horse really deep cut nugget um I remember when we were in the studio and everybody's pretty hyped on it and it's a great riff and it's it's a cool layout for the tune and I remember saying this has to come in with an uppercut like it can't build up to the thing it has to come in with just slamming and so I I, I really was the hype man on that one to get everybody like like come out like, like you're gonna knock the door down and yeah. it's like Bam! And you're right, John Ginty really, 
you know, my dad was one of John Ginty's number one heroes, our Hammond B3 player. And he really evokes the spirit of my dad on that. And, and there's definitely some Dwayne-isms in the attack of Statulus Slide. Um, I absolutely, I don't think, I, I know that dad looks down from time to time because I feel it. And it's, I don't know how to describe it, but I talk about it a little bit in the song Southern Rain that sometimes I feel him right by my side. I mean, it's heavy, you know? Mm. And it's not all the time, and it's very fleeting. Um, but it's, I don't know what to, dis- to to compare it to other than, you know, if, if you've been sitting in a room alone for a while and somebody walks in, you know the energy changes when someone has walked into the room. That's what it's like. The energy changes. Mm. And I feel... I feel comfortable. I feel comforted. It's it's pretty beautiful. And you didn't meet your dad till you were about 16 years old, right? Yeah. Yeah, 16 outside the Fox Theater in St. Louis. I drove my ass to the theater and I waited for the bus to pull up and bus pulled up and he walked off the bus and that was the first time I ever saw my father. You never know how that's going to go. I mean, you hear different stories of the heartbreak of of these, you know. He was nervous as shit. <laughs> yeah, that's how it went. <laughs> he did. He's like, I oh mean, god, I would have been too if I had a sixteen year old son. I had never spent a, a, a lick of a minute with. I'd have been nervous too because you don't know if that kid's going to just jump down your throat or you know. Um, but where have you been? Yeah, exa- exactly. You know, like you got a lot of you know. You, you got to answer a lot of questions, you know, and I just, uh, I think I put him at ease because I was just like, hey, man, I, you know, I just like to know you, you know. It is, it is amazing how the genetic connection between uh, performers can exist. Again, it's not necessarily nurture because you weren't growing up in that world like uh, Dwayne was. So it has to be something in your bones and your bloodstream that called you to this life because again it's not an easy life you know you have you could have done something else and you know Dwayne you have a pretty heavy name uh, that you have to lead with there's a lot of memories and a lot of pain that comes out of uh, Dwayne Allman and his memory have you ever felt that you know pressure looming over you um not so much from the name no I mean, I think I, I, it's always been an honor, and I, I didn't really think think of it like that until, obviously later, I realized it it was kind of heavy that he named me after him. But what's wild is, and I don't mean to cut you off, Dwayne, but a lot of no. people, a lot of people don't realize sometimes you and me and Barry, we all were were named after Dwayne. That's the impact, you know, because yeah. Barry's middle name is is. Dwayne, and my middle name is Lane, and the L was from my father's middle name, and the A and E was from Dwayne. It was and, like a. And like, you probably don't you don't know this either. My first name is Forrest. Yeah, and like my dad's dad. my and my dad's first name is Forrest. My dad is Forrest mm. Richard, and I'm Forrest Forrest Dwayne. So my grandmother named my dad Forrest Richard, but she wanted a son she could call Dickie. My dad saw Dickie play at the City Winery in Chicago, I think about a year or two ago. And my dad is about the biggest Dickie Betts fan that I've ever seen. At the City Winery? Yeah. Yeah. And the fact I that, that that was like that was more like four four or five years ago, I think. Yeah, maybe, yeah. And the fact that he could see him that up close in this sort of intimate dinner theater environment was like super special was, for him. You know? I was there. I mean, I played, I was in that band, so. Oh, nice. And Barry <laughs> Barry Oakley Jr. is on bass in uh, the project, so it, it extends far beyond just you guys. I mean, it is a, uh, a family band. Um, why record in Muscle Shoals? Was it a uh, natural choice? Or Sonics were it? the first reason. I, I went on tour uh, through the Southeast a few years before, and they reached out to me and said, hey, come take a tour of the studio. We know you're, you know, nearby. 
And I was just like, wow, you know, just walking in there was, it, it, it was electric, you know? Um, so I kind of put it in my back pocket and, uh, and I, and I said, when we wrote our first few songs, they sounded like songs from the seventies. And I said, Dwayne, we gotta, we gotta record this to two inch tape and we ought to, you know, if we're going to do that, we should just go to the source and go do it at Muscle Shoals. So it was Sonics and history and, but, but to say, yeah, let's go down there. It'll, it'll, we'll capture magic. You, you, you could hope that, but you can't script that. And, and, and luckily we, we got some of that. One of the songs that I also wanted to dive into was uh, Doctor's Daughter, which is a little softer. And it reminds me of like a Derek and the Dominoes vibe, which obviously Dwayne was a part of, but that more introspective, moodier song that brings everybody a little closer to the stage. Tell me a little about that song if you can. Well, that's Barry's tune that he brought in. Um, and we... Uh we really fell in love with it and thought it really added a, another dim, another dimension to the to what we um, had already written and um, kind of I think it has a little bit of a George Harrison or Pink Floyd element to it, which is is really um, you know I'm a, I'm a huge George George Harrison fan, but I always got a real a real nice uh, Pink Floyd vibe from it too. It's just real spacious and. Um, you know, uh, Barry's got a, a great singing voice, and uh, I think as the band continues to grow, it's it's neat to see some cats step up and and do a little something unexpected. started learning guitar uh, from your dad, I read that you started learning Chuck Berry's licks to kind of get you started. Well, he, I mean, that was just something that came to mind because he, you know, my father is such a huge Chuck Berry fan. And I think, I think Chuck Berry is one of those guitar players that you can find in any guitar player. You know, I think, uh, I think Steve Jones from the Sex Pistols might have said that when he passed away. Uh, you know, you can certainly find Chuck Berry in any rock and roll guitar player, you know. And Devin, when did you start writing songs as uh, a combination of poetry and music? I mean, it, it started in, uh, in Mobile, Alabama, in, in, the, in the garage with a, a punk trio. And we wrote songs about Vietnam and, and shit we knew nothing about because we just thought it was cool. And they were they were awful, but you know what? They were looking back on them. <laughs> I'm pretty fond of them because they were pretty sweet and they were all coming from the right place. <laughs> um, I, uh, I I wrote a song when I was 19 called Obsession, and it was um, – kind of a sexy, slow, almost maybe 70s Clapton kind of thing, E minor to D, talking about a girl that I was kind of just becoming a little obsessive with. And that was the first time that I was like, well, you know, I it, it gave me a little confidence to be like, wow, I, I mean, I, I could write a song and I, I don't think I can hang my hat on this for the rest of my life, but I think I'm headed in the right direction with being able to... Um, just evoke a mood and express myself. And when you would sit in with the Allman Brothers, you would play, I think, Midnight Rider and One Way Out, right? That, those are like the songs that they would bring you in on? That was the bones I was thrown. <laughs> I mean, those are pretty good bones. <laughs> no complaints. Although later, as I became a, a bit more accomplished, I would I would ask my dad on his solo tours to, you know, please let me, let me play Dreams, man. I want to play Melissa. Like, I want to play lead on Melissa. Like... You know, with and, and there's a fine line. You don't want to be pushy. You don't want to affect a man's show. But uh, you know, he would he would kind of bump me up the ladder and try it out and sound check. And he was really cool and supportive that way. And it it really, you know, it it, it gathered me. It gained more confidence for me and stuff. But Midnight Rider at 17. Uh, once I got a little better at guitar. Um, I was a real late bloomer with lead guitar. That I didn't start playing lead guitar till my 30s. Um, 
then I would start to do One Way Out, and then they'd throw me in between Warren and Derek to take a lead on One Way Out, and it's like, God, oh, Jesus. <laughs> God dang, really? You know, but that's where you just... You, you don't think about it, and you try and, 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 and be you. Don't fanboy, don't, don't be in awe, just play the song and be you. And if, and if you do that, you know, hopefully you can at least hold your, your own distinctive voice, you know. Dwayne, you got to play Dreams, right? When you started getting out there? Yeah. Yeah, I played Dreams um, quite a bit. And um, the same thing, which was a Willie Dixon tune that uh, Warren sang. That was like my first thing. And and, uh, I think I played Southbound a few times. There's a song off your uh, Take Me to the River album called Autumn Breeze that feels like it could be, again, a snapshot from the middle of an amazing live Allman Brothers show where you have about three and a half minutes in the twin guitar harmony line start snaking into the song. And that's really, for me, what set the Allman Brothers apart is the ability to have melodic and harmonic guitar parts that you could sing along in the car. Yeah, that song is is actually, that song was actually written by a a friend of ours, uh, Chris Williams who is actually, I was in a band in my early 20s, uh, probably 19 to 23, 24. Chris actually passed away in a car accident, and that was the end of that band, but that is his song. And um, I started playing it in my set when I was opening up for Devin before the formation of the Almond Betts Band, and we all agreed that it was um, fitting for the, for the Down to the River Very record. worthy. You know, yeah. very uh, evokes the spirits, and um, you know, since it didn't see the light of day for Dwayne's friend, I I thought it was so sweet to. It's like here you go, buddy. Here's one for you. You know, that's that's a cool thing. Was there a embarrassing moment as a young musician when you got to join the big leagues? Like, what was the moment where you were, like, totally fucked up in front of everybody? Okay, I'll go first, because mine's really easy. Okay, so... So I had sat in for the first time in Vail, Colorado. We were staying in Denver. I was 15. It's first time sitting in on guitar with the band. I played drums a, a couple times when I was before I switched but you know there was two drummers or three if you count Kenyonas I don't know if he was in the band yet anyhow so we leave we leave the hotel and I know that I'm supposed to play so I leave my guitar at the hotel on purpose to get out of playing and we're on the bus driving to Vale my head goes hits me on the leg he goes you're gonna play tonight right you brought your guitar and I go no I, I oh man I forgot my guitar so I can't play. And he goes, oh, you know, we got, we got plenty of guitars. You don't need to worry about that, you know? And so I was like, okay. You know, I was like mortified. Uh, or I, I, was, I was really nervous about playing. So I, I played and it went, it went beautifully and everything went, went, out, went on without a hitch and, and I felt amazing. And a couple nights later, we were in Oklahoma City they played Red Rocks the next night and I took the night off. I just wanted to enjoy the show and I didn't want to be, I didn't want to have to play. And then in Oklahoma City, it was a few days later, the next show, and it was like 110 degrees. There was like a thousand people in the crowd, which was, it was like no tickets sold um, for them. And, uh, yeah. and it was time to play again. And I was like, okay. So I go out there 
they start the song and then it, you know, it gets to my solo and it, I take the first solo and the spotlight goes on me. And man, I go into that first bend and that string just pops. And I just froze like a deer in headlights. I didn't know what to do when that string popped. That was the first time I'd ever been on a big stage and, and, and gone for a solo. And I was on the side of the stage with my head down. Like, I think I was crying. I was like, man, I, I could never go back out there. At the time, it was really traumatic. So that's my embarrassing story. I was uh, 18, Mud Island, Memphis, Tennessee. Went on to sing Midnight Rider. We always had the same layout. My dad sings the first verse, I sing the second verse, and then we split up the third verse. So I went to sing the second verse and I sang the words of the third verse in the second verse spot, which is a famous song with only six lines. Yeah. <laughs> And I went, shit. And, you know, my immediate, uh, you know, survival mode was, hey, dad's going to have my back. <clears throat> He's going to sing the second verse words over where the third verse is and just flip-flop the two and, and save my ass. And so the third verse comes up and my dad sings the same lines that I sang on the second verse. He repeats it. <laughs> so I go backstage and I'm walking towards my dad and I go... Man, I, I was, I was kind of hoping you'd just flip-flop the verses and kind of save my ass there, you know? And he goes, my son, two wrongs do not make a right. man I remember my dad was doing was recording at the the rock hall the rock hall in, in Cleveland and uh, he was doing a live DVD and literally like 90% of the band had food poisoning was vomiting <laughs> off of the stage in between songs I mean it was it's it was actually quite funny looking back but at the time they spent this money to get the crew and the film crew and really trying to make a nice production and it just wasn't happening. Everybody was throwing up off the side of the stage. So it happens. <laughs> Do you guys uh, deal with the bright lights uh, well? Is it something that you feed off of or do you have stage fright? A lot of performers, like myself included, we have to kind of pretend that we don't have stage fright when we do. You know, I get out there and I become totally at peace but the moment in the darkness before I step out there, I'm like, I'm going to forget everything I've ever written. I don't know what key this is in. And then something about that muscle memory of doing it 150 days a year yeah. and just knowing you're part of the puzzle, it just kicks in. And that's a beautiful thing. What is that feeling you guys have when you step out onto the stage? Excitement. Um, you know, confidence. Um, uh, we're, we're prepared when we hit it. So we're not going, oh, you know, how's this going to go? We're, we're really prepared. I got to say in the last few years of, uh, you know, joining forces with Dwayne and becoming a, a, a team, I only got nervous once. And it was the first time we played the Beacon Theater. And that's for obvious reasons. So, you know, you put the Almond Betts band on a festival with 20,000 people you know, outside loving the sunshine and, and the good vibes. And it's like, let's party now. <laughs> you put us on that beacon the first time. And I, I was I was a little nervous. But that's the only time in three years. The rest of it, uh, even in the dark before you go hit the stage, for me, it's excitement and it's electricity. And, and I know we've done our homework and we're ready. It's like, let's go. Let's go fucking like rage with these people. Like, let's let's give them a good time. Let's. Let's go. And it doesn't feel like pressure or stage fright to me. Yeah. Yeah, I'd ag I mean, I agree. I get nervous sometimes. Um, it's not like a fear or like a, you know, you're, 
you get an overwhelming sense of relief when the show goes well and it's at the end of the night and you go out for pizza, you know. But before the show, I, I, I think when there's a big show, I mean, I probably have nerves, but I, I'm really confident in the band and I'm really excited, you know. My favorite uh, party vibe song on the new record, uh, I think, is King Crawler for me. It just <laughs> put me in a really good mood making some soup this morning. Nice. <laughs> Chopping the onions. I was like, yeah, give me some sax. It just Hell feels yeah. like something that, you know, is timeless. It could be a party in the 70s. It could be uh, something that just happened last week and you can't wait to be a part of it and you want to play that song over and over again. I love that tune. Yeah, man, it's a rock and roll song for sure. It's got that, that, uh, uh-oh. Ooh, lost it. Yeah, they've got a, uh, I, I just got a text from Barry, who's right down the road from Dwayne. Uh, they got a massive storm system rolling into uh, oh, Sarasota. So, yeah, he just showed me a, a video from his porch and, like, everything is just blown sideways. Like, this, oh, this, the swings in the tree... And like, yeah, so we might have lost him to the storm or he might have uh, had a dead battery. Who knows? Uh, what were we talking about? Yeah, King Crawler. Tell me one more thing about that tune. Uh, King Crawler was, um, oh, man, I don't know. It just hit me as like a Stonesy, uh, like a, I don't know, like like part barroom brawl, part uh, driving song, like, you know, don't fuck with me kind of vibe, you know? Um it had that Skinner Leonard Skinner vibe of like, give me two steps. Yeah. So I remember we were uh, we were kind of putting it together, and uh, I started singing up on the high part, and we were, we were kind of having a hard time coming up with the title. And the the lyric says, uh, "I know you're mad because I stayed too long. I'll get back to you if I have to crawl." So I thought, oh man, well this guy's kind of you know no, this guy. Uh, this guy knows he kind of, uh, you know, fucked up a few times and, and, and really wants to, you know, kind of keeps crawling back, crawling back to his lady, you know, so, so what if, what if you're like the, you know, the best at crawling back to your lady, you would be the king crawler, you know, so, and, yeah. and it just kind of, the, the, the name came at the end, um, but I think it's great. Dwayne was there for a second, uh, and Art Edmondson, uh, Man, he just killed that sax on it. He he played my dad's solo band for a while. What does the blues mean to you as a you know a southern artist, but also as you know a white artist that is paying homage to a lot of black music? How do you feel like that has filtered into your bloodstream from a very young age? I think you know the blues is. Uh the blues is a, a togetherness, you know, you know, BB King was, was really about how blues is about feeling good and, and celebrating life as much as it was about, you know, hurting from somebody you lost or, or something like that. So, I mean, the blues is just, is just, it is the, the, the sweet ebb and uh, flow of, of life, our, our, our ups and our downs, you know, it's a, it's a reflection of that. Um, and you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, I don't know. It's like, it's like a feel, uh, a yearning on top of a groove. Right. And that yearning could be a sorrow based yearning or a celebratory yearning. And you put it over a certain groove, whether it's a slow groove or a chugging kind of train groove and, and you got the blues, you know, it's, uh, it's a special art form. Was there anybody that you met uh, maybe a blues artist, but someone that really moved you when you were able to meet them in person? Hmm. That really moved me. Um, I, I, you know, I've, I've hung and, 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 and I've got a good relationship with Billy Gibbons. He, he just, uh, he just feels like family when you hang with him. He's like your uncle, you know, and he's, he's so, 
He's just, he's really uh, articulate. He's just one of those students of the blues, you know, just, he's just an amazing cat. You know, with, with Gibbons, it's more of like a, like a kinship. We're both from Texas, you know, we, we're, we're pretty simpatico. recommend that ZZ Top documentary that I think was on Netflix. Uh, it was it was a fun watch. Yeah. Sorry guys, my computer died. That's what happened. Oh, all good. We saw uh, ZZ Top at that Bourbon and Beyond Fest in Louisville, which we played, I think, last year. And, I mean, it's like they're turning on their records. You know, they're so tight and they're so precise when they're going into, you know, Sharp Dressed Man or, or LaGrange, and it's like pristine, like the, the sound that they're creating. Did you notice how completely effortless it was? Yeah. Effortless. It was It was like his, his playing, he, he barely digs in. The drummer, you know, isn't ferocious. You know, the bass player's just right in this, like, it's, that's one of the more effortless, huge, badass-sounding bands that I've ever seen. It's like nothing. Dwayne, do you have any uh, legendary personality or artist that you met that really moved you? B.B. King? You, yeah. talk, you were asking about the blues. You, were, you guys were talking about the blues. I mean, B.B. King definitely comes to mind. I remember once there was a fire alarm that went off at in Memphis. We were at a hotel in Memphis. And uh, we're outside. Everybody left. It wasn't like people were staying inside. Like, the whole hotel's outside at, like, 4.30, 5 in the morning. And there's B.B. King in his robe. And, you know, I, I, I was fortunate enough to be around him quite a few times, you know. And uh, one time we hung out with him backstage at the Apollo Theater in Harlem. And we didn't even, it was in between shows and we just went up there to, I went with my dad and, and Devin's dad actually. And yeah, I mean, he's one of my favorite guitarists um, in the world of all time. I think... You know, we have a strong appreciation for for the blues and and uh, you know that's where it comes from. So guys could play any venue in the world where would it be and what song of yours would you open with i'd like to play at the pyramids like the grateful dead did of giza that would be cool yeah the grateful dead played at the pyramids yeah chili peppers just did uh two years ago uh somebody else did too pink did floyd pink floyd or no pink, pink floyd did yeah, that's a cool. That's a cool spot, man. Um, I've been there. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I've been there. I rode camels around those motherfuckers, and uh, there's an energy vortex that that kind of you, you 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 get a real old. It's wild. You 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 feel the ancientness, like like wow, like we've we've been kicking around on this rock for for millennia. You know, you really you really tap into that feeling that you're connected to something that's just eons old when you go there that would be i would say i would agree with Dwayne and say as far as a place there probably isn't anywhere more magical to play and i'd say we open with savannah's dream i was gonna say the same thing see great minds think alike i was gonna let you go and let you pick it but yeah savannah's dream at dusk at the pyramids there you go 
My dad was always confused why I liked when Dwayne would sing. Like, I actually think one of my all-time favorite Allman Brothers songs is Drunken Hearted Boy. Yeah. I was like, that song is dope. Also, why didn't he sing more? He, well, he probably would have sang more if he would have you know, lived longer. I, but, I you know. think, Fair yeah, enough. I think you're and right. And he would have written more, too. I, I think that's right to a degree. But his, his voice was, you know, once he... Because he was he's such an amazing guitar player, but once he found slide, it was like he went from weird correlation, but like just being an actor to like becoming some like becoming James Bond or something. Like it was like that was his thing. And at the same time, he was trying to 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 push his brother and to, you know, he was looking out for his baby brother and, and he really believed in in my dad's voice. You know what I mean? Well, it's amazing that Greg sounded like that at like 17, 18 years old. Yeah. Like that gravitas, that depth was in there and he didn't even really want to be the lead singer at first. And I read his book and it, it was just like, wait, how could you not hear your own voice? But it's like, you're the last person to know. Sometimes you have to have your older brother be like, dude, you're it. It was an innocence, but he had a swagger in that voice uh, that, that he got, from listening to some heroes and just, you know, he had it. He had it. You know, when 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 he sang a line, it was like, damn. You know, his his nuance, uh, and and feel, uh, and something that a lot of people don't really talk about a whole lot. It was was Dad's timing with mm. his with his singing, which was impeccable. So the new record, Bless Your Heart, uh, came out in August. Um, let's finish up with uh, one song that you'd like to have people hear that maybe didn't get as much attention as you would like. Uh, oh, God. Maybe Much Obliged? It's kind of a, a, a little bit of a departure for the band in the, in the, in the, in the feel of it. It's a little bit kind of, you know, little little country western uh I, I sing in a in a bit of a different register than normal, a lower register. It's uh, it's a fun song. It's different for us. Yeah, I'll say that one too. Uh, I'll go with Much Obliged. Well, I'm super glad that you guys uh, are able to create music that preserves the history of your uh, Almond Brothers legacy, but also creates something that's wholly you guys and has uh, this unique voice. And I honestly. Uh, I'm glad that I can share this with my dad. Uh, hell yeah. Well, stay safe uh, in Florida there. I know there's a storm coming through, so, you know, bat down the hatch. Yeah, man. Nice chat, man. Pleasure. Tucson to San Antonio and all points in between. Like Bonnie and Clyde, we drive all night past all the big palm trees. Flash me old smile, dog.
Big thanks to Devin Ullman and Dwayne Betts for talking to me. Uh, you can go to AllmanBettsBand.com for their newest record. It's called Bless Your Heart, and they will be having some tour dates coming out very soon, so check out their website for more. If you're curious about episodes you may have missed on this fair program, you can go to theshowontheroad.com slash episodes for all previous content, including really cool talks with Steve Earle, Dar Williams, and more. If there is an artist that you think I should talk to, go to our Instagram at showontheroadpodcast and send me a DM. I really love hearing about artists that may have slipped under my radar. And as you can probably hear, uh, the jet planes continue to go over my head as I try to record this. But please, keep coming back to hear our new episodes. I have some really cool ones coming up, including my talk with Shaky Graves and The Tallest Man on Earth, taped live in Sweden. I wasn't in Sweden, but it felt like I was there, because modern technology. It seems like a simple request, but I'll say it again. Donate to your favorite bands and your favorite venues so they can keep going. It may be another six months to a year before touring really resumes as it was before. You can find my band Dust Bowl Revival at dustbowlrevival.com and bring home some purple vinyl and some new t-shirts. And on a personal note, next week, my little side project we're calling Patio Club goes into the studio for the first time. We're going to lay down five songs, and I'm really excited for you to hear them. If you want to be a friend of the show, you can donate to the show, znlupitan at gmail.com on PayPal. Send any amount. It really helps us keep going. And you can see entire interviews and special acoustic performances loaded on our YouTube channel, The Show on the Road. I just put up a really cool song done by the ladies in Larkin Poe. The Show on the Road is written, produced, and edited by yours truly, Zach Lupitan, and we are a part of the BGS Podcast Network. Stay safe and stay creative, and we'll see you on the trail. Hey.